Welcome everybody, another Monday morning episode, sports episode of the podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, before we start, please remember to follow the social medias at COAPod73, at Jimmy Pilato, and then Instagram at Proud underscore WAP. Um, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. That way we can get put into the algorithm, maybe grow this a little bit faster. But uh, I'm enjoying the last couple episodes, some of the feedback that you guys have been giving has been good and I feel like the last few episodes have gotten better and better and we're starting to uh, find a little bit of a groove. It was a little bit weird there for a second with having to figure out whether or not I was going to travel back and forth for the coronavirus and then having Kyle on for that many weeks in a row and now transitioning back to one's beers by myself has been a little bit interesting but I feel like you guys have stuck it out with me and I think that we're getting better as we go. A um, little bit to talk about today, the ESPN Tedden segment is going to follow the Lumberjack World Championships because that's coming up next month, but I know that they're having some qualifying rounds right now. Uh, I'll talk about the UFC from this past weekend as UFC 250 happened. Um, and then I think nobody there we didn't get a response to the tweet. I put it out a little bit yet, late yesterday, but I'll do the uh, Steelers breakdown this week just so I can get it out of the way and I won't have to worry about whether or not I'm going to have to do it again and then finally we'll talk a little bit about the NBA plans to return uh, the tournament format and how that's going to work we did that with the NHL and now the NBA is figuring themselves out as to what they're going to do in response to the virus as well so we got a kind of a packed show um, and I guess we'll start with the Lumberjack events so the Lumberjack Games, I believe this is going to be the 60, 61st, and I don't know what LWC, Lumberjack World Championship Competition and Festival is going to be taking place July 29th to the 31st. That's actually going to be 2021. I know that they're doing um, events right now, but the championships got postponed until next summer. Uh, Zach Brown, my cousin, who I told you guys about, gave me the idea for this obscure sports segment also competed in these games when he was up in northern Arizona then we also got went and watched them in North Carolina North Carolina or Tennessee a couple summers ago it's actually a pretty intense atmosphere um, for everything that's been going on so if you are interested you can watch all of the events that they're having online I'm not sure when they're gonna be but I'm sure you can watch highlights and stuff on YouTube go over the events the there's one, two, three, four, five, six total events, and I assume it's either uh, last or world strongest man style or uh, Olympic style. So you either get the most amount of points for winning the event, or you get the least amount of points, and then that would be the objective. So if you took first in log rolling, you'd get zero or one, and then the person who finished in second would get one higher than you, and then the last two people with the lowest scores or Let's see if I can figure out. I don't know if I can find it. I'll, I'll Google the rules real quick. I guess I'm not quite as prepared as I thought I was going to be for that one.
point system. 10 points for first place, 7 points for second place, 5 points for third place, 3 points for fourth place, and 1 point for fifth place. So it is, you get the higher number depending on where you finish. The first event would be log rolling, and it has two lumberjacks. Lumberjacks and lumberjills run atop a spinning, floating log and attempt to topple their opponents. Um, each round that you go in, I believe they give you six minutes, and then after six minutes, if nobody's fallen off, they go down to a smaller log, so that increases the difficulty every time. Um, difficulty also increases each time that one person does fall off. Then we have broom running, and that's competitors sprint atop a boom, a boom running, a series of linked floating logs from one dock to another and back as logs begin to spin out of control. Speed pole climbing. Lumberjacks go ahead, go head to head in the breathtaking speed pole climb as they scale a 60 foot or a 90 foot pole and seemingly fall to earth in record time. You have the chopping. Lumberjacks and lumberjills sharpen up their axes and compete in the high intensity standing chop, underhand chop, springboard chop, and standing block chop. That's actually a lot of fun to watch. So I think that out of any of the events was my most favorite to watch um, the springboard chop. So you, what they would do is they'd take their axe and chop in a portion of the log and then put a platform in there and then jump up on the platform and see how high they can get um, in the shortest amount of time. And there's axe throwing. Obviously that one doesn't really need too much of an explanation. And sawing. Sawdust will fly when lumberjacks and lumberjills attack lathe turn white pine in head-to-head -head competition using a cross-cut saw or a souped-up chainsaw in a variety of Fast and Furious events. Let's see, let's take a look at some of these world records. So the world record in the standing chop is 18.33 seconds. So he, he just stood there and chopped down a tree in under 20 seconds. That was set by Jason Weinard in 1998. Springboard, 41.15, so still under a minute. David Bolstad set that record in 2003. The broom run is 12.26. Will Hoeschler set that in 2011. Jason Weinhardt seems to be the greatest of all time. He has 16 wins and that's a record that he set back in 2012. So like I said if you're looking for uh, something to watch or you're running out of things to try and fill your day with I'm sure that you can go let's let's just go real quick and see if we can find this on YouTube Lumberjack games there are they have the 2018 Steel Timber Sports 2018 U.S. Men's Championship on YouTube at the Rookie World Championship 2019 Men's Championship. So yeah, you can find these. Uh, it'll definitely quench your thirst for some competitiveness. The even when because the one that we went and watched in Tennessee, I want to say I think that's going to be my final answer is Tennessee. Uh, it was just like a show, uh, more like a rodeo show, but they were still competitive and competing against each other. So. Uh, that is our ESPN 10 the Dago segment for this week. Let's just see. I'll look up the highlights and then I'll react to the highlights and if you want I'll figure out the So we have a four minute 2015 Timber Sports US Championship highlights. Let's go.
Wow. 2015 Steel Timber Sports U.S. Championship Highlights. Spring Chop. If you've ever swung an axe at a tree, you know how difficult this can be. These guys are in terrific shape. Wow. Standing Chop. Forest swings right through a big old log there. I don't know. I don't even know if this should be ESPN 10 Sport. They should put this on ESPN 2. This is no different, or NBC Sports. This is no different than the Hacky Sack or Spike Ball tournaments. Wow. That, that chainsaw just went right through that log. I don't know if this is a normal. Uh, event that they have there but what we saw Zach was telling me you take a log and then you run you have it basically with your hands folded in front of your midsection and you have the log and you take a few steps run and try and flip the log wonder if they're, we're gonna see that happen this one guy is in a lot of these highlights and he is just destroying these logs Probably the most hated man in the forest. Wow. I wish I knew what his name was. That's That'll be my petition. I'll start a petition. Let's get Lumberjack Sports on ESPN, too. Seems like there's a lot of fun going around with the festival and everything. If you want to compete... Professionals are invited to the Lumberjack Lumberjill World Championships Foundation via email to apply to compete at the Lumberjack World Championships. Applications will be reviewed and athletes ranked and selected in May with start lists for each event discipline determined and communicated to athletes in June. Let's see. Compete. It doesn't say... How do you go and compete? Maybe you have to be in another circuit. Have to compete in something before? It is in Wisconsin, so it gives you some semblance of an idea of why it is as popular probably as that's where they have a ton of people show up and show out to these they have them all around I think they have qualifying competitions all around the country so you probably if you're interested in competing I would go look up just Google where the next one is closest to you and see if you can qualify Let's see is there any other Wife carrying. <laughs> wow. Finland needs to have like ESPN just based on Finland sports because they. Wife carrying is based off the 19th century Finnish legend Rakanain the Robber who stole women from neighboring villages along with his band of thieves. It's pretty straightforward. Men try to run a course the fastest while carrying women on their backs. Women's legs sit on the men's shoulders. 
while she's being carried upside down, and it turns out that partners don't even need to be married. There's a North American wife carrying championship as well as the wife carrying world championship, which just finished in Finland. So Finland, in the last two weeks, has been featured on ESPN 10 with the hobby horsing championship and now wife carrying. If you and your spouse are interested, uh, they have a North American one, and then if you do well at that, I'm sure you qualify for the finish. Wow. Who would have thought that it took losing sports to come up with all these other different sports? Except this has been going on for a long time in Finland. I don't know how long the North American one had been happening. Okay. Now that we've got the weird out of the way, we can go and talk about the UFC. UFC 250 happened over the weekend. Three bantamweight fights, a couple welterweight fights, and then, of course, what a lot of people are calling the women's female goat. Amanda Nunes fought Felicia Spencer for a title, but we'll start with the first fight of the main card. Eddie Wineland took on Sugar Sean O'Malley. Wineland's been around for a while, volunteer firefighter. have a, a lot of respect for him. He is getting towards that age. I believe he's almost 40, where he's more of a gatekeeper than he would be a title contender. And Sean O'Malley is as much of a contender as you can possibly be. He's... Reminds me a lot of Conor McGregor when he first started. Kind of tall, lanky, a lot of power, but he does a lot of crazy stuff outside to get noticed. So Sean O'Malley ended the fight. They they came out feeling each other out a little bit. Sean O'Malley lands one heavy, heavy punch to the head and knocks out Eddie Wineland in the first round, 154 into the fight. And I believe that should have... I don't know if they'll tell you if it was performance of the night for KO, but... Uh, I would say that that was on there. There also was another good knockout later on in that fight. But Sean O'Malley defeated Eddie Wineland in the first round. Then welterweight fight, Neil Magny trains out of Colorado, fought Anthony Rocco Martin. Uh, unanimous decision, thought it should have been a split. One one judge gave it a split decision, 29-28 to Magny. Uh, this was more of a grinded-out fight, which is what you expect from Neil Magny. He either finishes by submission or just grinds people into the ground with his crazy cardio. Anthony Martin now, he had control for a while. I thought that this was going to be a closer fight than what some of the judges gave it, but I didn't have a problem with Magny winning, trying to get back into the title contender race. We'll see. I'll go to the rankings here on another tab. See how fast this thing pulled up. Divisional rankings. That's a heavyweight show. We'll go. We'll start at bantamweight since we talked about Sugar Sean. Henry Cejudo was the former number one and the champion. But now there's not a champion at 135 pounds. And you got Marlon Marias, who should have been the champion, but he missed weight, I believe. Yeah, he missed weight against Jose Aldo and then beat him, so the championship didn't count. Aljamain Sterling had a good fight. Uh, he was also on this last card. Ranked number three, Peter Yan, who's fighting Marlon Marias for the... Actually, Peter Yan's going to be fighting Jose Aldo. In his next fight. Then you have Corey Sandhagen also fought on the card. Uh, Rafael Sunsau at 7. Pedro Munoz at 8. Cody Garbrandt at 9. He also fought on the card. Dominic Cruz. So Sugar Sean not even in the top 10. I believe this should put him up there. Might jump Dominic Cruz. That was a pretty big 
win for him against a guy who's been there for a while. And then at welterweight, we talked about the welterweight rankings a little bit just because of Kamara Usman and whether or not Conor McGregor is going to come back and fight there. But Usman's the champion. Masvidal's number two. Colby Covington, number three. Douglas Lima is set to fight Gegard Mousasi at some point. I believe that's in that's in Bellator. Tyron Woodley's still holding on at number five. Leon Edwards, Roy McDonald, Stephen Thompson, Gilbert Burns, Michael Chiesa. So Magny's still trying to claw his way back into the top ten rankings as well. That was a good start in in his favor, but I think that he's going to need to get a little bit flashier to get any kind of recognition from the company. So those are our first two fights. Then start getting into the more exciting finishes. Aljamain Sterling, Cody, Corey Sandahagen. Sandahagen fighting out of Arvada, Colorado. Went to Rikers Island. Rev was telling me about that uh, when he was here watching the fights. Corey Sandahagen, he lost in a first-round submission, got choked out by Aljamain Sterling. Sterling looked on another level, like he was ready to go for a title. Basically controlled the entire fight, got in on a takedown, and then just sunk the back, sunk, sunk the choke in on Sandahagen's back. Not a bad loss for Sandahagen as he was fighting another top contender. It just puts him a little bit further behind the others for a title shot. He's going to have to win against another guy at some point. I'm not going to see. You probably put him. I don't know if you get you can go and put him up against Marias. Sunsau just lost Cody Garbrandt and Corey Sandahagen could possibly be a, a matchup that I wouldn't mind seeing coming up in the Bantamweight rankings. Aljo, Aljermaine Sterling, I believe his nickname's Bruce Leroy, came in at number three. Uh, depending on how the next fight between Peter Yan and Jose Aldo goes, I should I see him possibly getting Marlon Marias or this. Well, Rev was kind of right. He this should have been a four-person tournament with Henry Cejudo retiring and vacating the belt. Should have been Sandhagen and Sterling on one side of the tournament bracket, Jan and Marias on the other side, and then the winners fight each other and determine who the cha next champion is going to be. Um, I guess that they're probably not going to figure out who the next champion is until Fight Island, if that actually does happen. Um, but Aljamain looked. Very, very impressive. I didn't realize that he had that good of a ground game, and his stand-up looked like it was pretty on point, too. Uh, but he got got a hold of Santa Higgins' neck and didn't let go. Next fight, Cody Garbrandt. Hadn't won since 2016. Three years, three almost four years of frustration fighting Rafael Sunsal, a guy who never really got a title shot like he should have. Um, Sunsal's one of those guys who beat TJ Dillashaw before Dillashaw even won the championship. It was a good fight. Ended up finishing with a KO at the buzzer in round two. Cody Garbrandt looked pretty good in this one. Uh, 19 significant strikes landed. It was fairly even until uh, Sunsau let his guard down right at the end, but you could see Garbrandt was setting up that big hook from the fence, so it wasn't like it was a surprise that he threw it. Just surpri surprising that he landed it before the buzzer and then knocked out a Sunsau like he did. Garbrandt's always got that one-punch power, especially... A lot of people were comparing him to uh, the light version of Chuck Liddell. So Cody Garbrandt lived up to that moniker there and made it so that he's able to move himself possibly back up in the rankings. We'll see what happens there. Bantamweight. 
like I said, I think he should fight Sandhagen. Uh, maybe give him. I don't know if you give a guy like Sugar Sean. Cody Garbrandt, because Garbrandt could still become a, a big star. He was a star when he had the title, so he can still get to that level. I don't know if you feed him to a young prospect that quickly. Uh, maybe give him a guy like Sandy Hagen, decide whether or not Sandy Hagen's going to get a title shot at some point in the future, or if it was just Garbrandt's night on that fight. And then final fight of the night, a domination for the women's bantamweight champion. This was a featherweight matchup against Felicia Spencer. Spencer's a tough girl. She took Cyborg all five rounds and took all the punishment that Cyborg could dish out and still didn't go down. So she she's very tough, but it, Amanda Nunes, you got to be a lot more than just tough in order to beat her. Obviously, Amanda Nunes is number one. Random, the Randomme is number two. She just got beat unanimous decision by Amanda Nunes in December. Aspen Ladd, I don't know if she's ready for a fight like she would get from Nunes. Holly Holm has been beaten by Nunes. Raquel Pennington just lost to Holly Holm. So not too many more contenders for the champ champ there. She's going to have a baby soon with her training partner and girlfriend so that's great for her but she cemented her status as probably the best female fighter of of her generation right now and possibly the greatest female fighter of all time but it's such a young sport that it's kind of difficult to see if that is actually going to be able to stick out of 222 strikes she landed 132 so she only missed 90 strikes she had 124 significant strikes and controlled the fight for eight minutes Spencer was trying to wrestle with her for a little bit. Spencer was 0 for 7 on takedowns. Nunes was 6 for 7. Uh, no knockdowns in the fight. One submission attempt. Spencer was able to get out of it. This is the, another hematoma. Um, if you watch the Joanna Janjacek, Weili Zhang fight, you know that Joanna's forehead swelled up about four sizes. Spencer had about three or four knots in her forehead and got him cut open too. So it was a rough fight for Felicia Spencer. I think that you know, she had a, a chance, but it wasn't that great of a chance. And then once everything kind of took shape the way that it was going to, uh, it was nobody was going to beat Nunez on that night. And now, see what's coming up for the UFC. I believe there's one, a fight night this weekend. I don't know if I'm going to be watching it. June 13th, Jessica I in Cavillo. Cynthia Cavillo. Calvillo. Calvillo. Coming up this next weekend, Ray Borg is fighting on this fight. He's got, he's been through a lot in the last few months. Uh, his daughter, not daughter, his son was going through a lot of medical issues. Uh, hopefully that they're better. This main event, minus 110, minus 110, so there's no favorite. This whole card seems like it's going to be even money. Andre Feely is on this card. He's a minus 240 favorite, probably the biggest favorite on the card, I would say. Yeah, I, he's going to be the biggest favorite on this card. That one is being fought at featherweight. 
featherweight and lightweight are two of the best divisions in the men's lighter weight classes right now. So not necessarily one that you have to you'd be missing out if you didn't fight, but if you didn't watch, but there are a few good fights on this one coming up. All right, and that now transitions us into something that I didn't want to talk about, the Steelers. And with their position moving into this next season, so we'll go over the draft picks and then I'll do the schedule game with them. I'll try and be as unbiased as possible. It's not that hard because the Steelers are a lot better than the teams I like. Um, so let's let's see what this is gonna gonna look like. They didn't have a first round pick because they traded their first round pick for Mika Fitzpatrick. I would say probably worked out better than they were expecting. Their defense was on point last year. Steelers defensive efficiency. 2019. So they were the third most efficient defense of last season. And that was without any help from the offensive side of the ball. This year they're kind of set up to be pretty decent. They got a Hall of Fame quarterback coming back. Hopefully, if you're a Steelers fan, you say hopefully he stays healthy because you know that you don't have anybody behind him. They didn't draft anybody behind him either. Um, Steelers roster. I don't believe that they have another backup quarterback, but I'm just going to double check. <laughs> JT Barrett is also a quarterback on the roster. He can play multiple positions. Um, obviously, Duck Hodges still going to be there. Paxton Lynch just got signed by the Steelers, so there's actually going to be some competition for the backup spot. Well, you know, not between... It's going to be between Mason Rudolph, Hodges, and Paxton Lynch. If Paxton Lynch didn't learn anything from his time in Denver, I'd say that he's probably going to be the one that gets cut there. Maybe even under... I feel like they're going to have to cut two since they have five on the roster. Um, my prediction right now is that Lynch is going to get beat out and be one of those... He'll be the first one cut... And then it's going to be between Hodges or J.T. Barrett. They probably will keep J.T. Barrett just because of his diversity. Um, and then I guess we'll see how they feel about Mason Rudolph because I don't think that they'd get rid of him since he was more of a mid-round pick than a guy that they just brought in to be a space filler. But he also hasn't played great when he's gotten the opportunity. I mean, he had the opportunity last year and got benched. And uh, the only reason he got brought back in was to take over for an even more struggling Devlin Hodges. So first pick, let's just, go, just say the picks that they got. Round two, pick number 49, Chase Claypool, wide receiver from Notre Dame. Round three, pick 102, Alex Highsmith, linebacker from Charlotte. Round four, pick number 124, Anthony McFarland Jr., running back from Maryland. That's a good one for them. Pick Round four, pick 135, Kevin Dotson, guard from Louisiana. Uh, round six, pick number 198, Antoine Brooks Jr., a safety from Maryland. And round seven, pick 232, Carlos Davis, a D-tackle from Nebraska. So out of those picks, one, two, three, they were only going to have four, and then they ended up getting a compensatory pick in the third round. 
and then they got a pick from the Titans through Dolphins that they had a trade. Hmm. They don't... Okay, so we'll start now just by going with Chase Claypool. Chase Claypool, interesting. They did need a little bit of help. I think they he'll be a slot receiver now. Um, Juju needed some help. He wasn't ready to transition right away into being that marquee receiver for Pittsburgh, but I think this helps him now. And um, Claypool is a typical, prototypical slot wide receiver. And uh, that'll help out open up a little bit more of the middle of the field. They already have Vance McDonald, and they have a couple running backs right now on the roster that can catch the ball. So I, I like the Claypool pick, one of my higher-ranked receivers out of anybody, especially with the fact that he probably fits in the slot better. Uh, Highsmith, they needed they they play four a uh, three-four defense. So they needed some depth at linebacker. They got a middle linebacker now for the next 15 years. Devin Bush was as good as people would, were thought, thinking that he was going to be. I would think that Highsmith is probably more of a pass-rushing linebacker that can play inside if they need him to. They need to fill the spot left open by James Harrison after he retired. Uh, they have T.J. Watt. They have Bud Dupree. This just adds another pass rusher. Pass rushers right now are pretty well commodified in the NFL, so that was a good pick with a compensatory for them. Anthony McFarland Jr. Maryland has some great running backs. They already have good running backs on the roster, but uh, some of them just can't stay healthy. Right now, James Conner, Benny Snell Jr., Jalen Samuels, and Kareth White. But um, you know, with Roethlisberger, they need to have a backfield that can be productive too. James Conner's been dealing with a ton of injuries since he took over as the starter. Benny Snell, I didn't see too much of, of him last year. I believe he was hurt as well. Jalen Samuels is their speed guy. Uh, but Anthony McFarland can break away from people. He can also run between the tackles and maybe take some of the load off of the other guys in that room. Never a bad thing when you have to do a rotation at running back. Keep guys fresh, keep uh, fresh legs running in the backfield. Kevin Dotson, guard from Louisiana. They, they were looking to add depth. I don't think that they were looking for a, another starter. They have David DeCastro, one of the best guards in the game right now, and then obviously Marquise Pouncey. Whether or not you like him as a person, he's still really good at the offensive line position, so it makes sense that they wanted to keep him around. I think this is a good pickup just to, you know, if they need to put him in, they can, but they can also run him probably as like a swing guy, maybe put him as an extra tackle on some packages. I, I think that that's a Decent pickup for them. Don't have any problems with that one. Antoine Brooks Jr., safety from Maryland. Obviously, they're pretty stacked at the safety position right now with Minka Fitzpatrick, but this is could be an extra nickel defensive back. Maryland has a lot of speed. Even though they don't have quite as much success in the collegiate level, they do have a lot of speed. And you saw that two years ago when they were playing Ohio State and how Ohio State was having to catch themselves back up, catch their breath every time they went back out on the field. And the last pick, Carlos Davis from Nebraska. They needed a, a big. They, they needed a big tackle to kind of take up space in the in the middle. They have Stephon Tuit. This could be another. Stephon Tuit will probably switch down to the zero, so play head up on the center, and then this will add depth for their three techniques. And then if they can help take up space inside, that'll 
leave Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt in a lot of one-on-one passing situations. That's the best part about running a 4-3, or 3-4, excuse me, especially with a lot of the offenses switching to 11 personnel only, so they only have five offensive linemen to block with. Those guys are too good to block one-on-one. And I, I saw that, unfortunately, in the Bengals game when Andy Dalton was getting hit from the front and the back because Bud Dupree and uh, T.J. Watt were just getting straight through the tackles. And I think other than the Ravens, they have a pretty easy chance of being the best sack duo uh, just with the teams that they play in their division. I think that that was a good pickup for them too. So unfortunately for me, if you're a Bengals fan or if you're a fan of another team in the AFC North, Steelers look like they're set up to kind of return to their dominance. I don't think that this is a toss-up or a gimme year for the Ravens to win the division. We'll see what happens, but moving over to their season, play the schedule game with them a little bit. Opening up Steelers at the Giants, I would give that to the Steelers just because they don't have to worry about the time changes. This is Roethlisberger coming back and got a full season off last year. This is him coming back, and we'll see. They did open up the season pretty poorly last year, but that was against the Patriots, who had a great defense. And now I think with Roethlisberger coming back, settling the offense down, adding Claypool, adding uh, adding McFarland from Maryland, and then having James Conner also coming back from injury, motivated James Conner is always a dangerous James Conner. So that'll be an easy win, I think, for the Steelers on the road, get a nice 1-0 record to begin the 2020 season. Next, they host the Broncos. I've already said I think the Broncos lose this one, having to go to Pittsburgh. It's a two-hour time change, and it's an early game, so they're playing at 11 a.m. in Pittsburgh. It'll be played. It'll be 1 o'clock in Pittsburgh, but it'll be 11 a.m. in Denver. They don't normally play at that early of a time slot, so I give that edge to the Steelers, and I think the Broncos are going to need some time to gel as a team. The Texans, interesting because I'm not sure how they're going to look this year, giving up a weapon like DeAndre Hopkins and then picking up a guy like David Johnson. Who knows if David Johnson is even going to play. And I don't think Deshaun Watson can do it all on his own. The Steelers' defense is good enough to shut down a guy like Deshaun Watson who's dynamic. I would say that's the Steelers' victory. So I think they start off 3-0 and then they go to the Titans. And that's an interesting game because it's basically strength on strength. Titans have a pretty decent defense. They're playing at home. Their running game is on point. Um, I think this is one of the games where Roethlisberger kind of struggles, and we'll start to see his age a little bit. I, I'm going to give that one to the Titans. So I think out of September, they finish 3-1. and one. I think that's probably best-case scenario for them. Now moving on, Eagles go to the Steelers. This will be a tightly contested game. I'm going to give this one to the Steelers just because they're at home and the Eagles have had injury problems the last few years, so if they're healthy, I'd say that the Eagles win, but I'm not going to bank on the fact that the Eagles will be 100% healthy. So I give that one to the Steelers. Steelers now 4-1. and one. Next week, the Browns 5-1. and one. I don't think that Cleveland's going to beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. It's just not going to happen. They can barely beat Pittsburgh in Cleveland, um, just kind of like the Bengals, where they haven't won against them in so long. Why would they be able to go in on the road and beat them? Then they go into Baltimore the following week. Uh, this, I think, will be the battle for the division. I don't know if the Ravens are going to go 14-2 and like they did last year, but I think that they'll still be pretty dominant in the regular season. Just got to figure out some sort of game plan to get going in the postseason as well. 
because they've had two really good shots to make a run the last two years, but they haven't been able to do it. I'm going to give that to the Ravens because I think that in the regular season, the Ravens are pretty tough to beat, especially at home. The Cowboys the following week, I'm going to give this one to the Steelers. So right now I have them sitting at 6-2. and two. Um, Cowboys just don't have a lot of promise for me, and I don't. I think it's going to be better that they don't don't have Jason Garrett, but I'm not sure how much better, just because they paid Amari Cooper. Who knows if Zeke Elliott's going to be on point? It's a lot of moving parts for the Cowboys. I think the Steelers will be pretty well set at this part of the season. The Bengals go to Pittsburgh. Don't even have to talk about it. Seven and two. Um, pretty easy. Pretty easy one to pick there. I don't, I'm not sure how the Bengals are going to look this year. It's not one of the games that I gave them to win. Going to Jacksonville, that's an easy win. So they're 8-2 now. The Jaguars just haven't been the same kind of team since they made that AFC Championship run and lost to the Patriots. So not not difficult to pick there. Ravens go back to Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh will split with the Ravens this year. So I think the Steelers beat Baltimore in that, that game. They beat Washington the next game. So now they're 11-2. Go to the Bills. This is a primetime game. I'm going to say Josh Allen finally puts himself together this year. I'm going to give this one to the Bills. I think it's the Bills' division to win out in the East. Um, so I give that one to Buffalo, especially playing in Western New York. I'm actually going to give, so right now they're 11-3. and I'm going to give the Bengals the second game in the series. It's a primetime game, so I'm a little bit wary about that now. But I think this is the point where the Bengals start to pull themselves together. They've beaten the Ravens in December and January in the past couple of years of the of you know Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis so why can't they do it to the Steelers again possibly move them down out of the first seed um, I think the Bengals finally beat the Steelers for the first time in six years at home so that makes them 11 and 4 Colts going to the Steelers I don't know I think that they're probably going to you know that I'm still do- recording the podcast from home. Um, moving on now, the Colts and the Steelers. I think that the Steelers will probably be getting set to make a playoff run. Um, the Colts play up or down to their competition, or at least they have the past couple of years. They have a different quarterback this year. I can't remember who's, who, what his name is. Kobe Brissett. They also have Jacob Eason and Chad Kelly on the roster. Philip Rivers is the going to be the guy this year. I'm not quite sold that Philip Rivers is going to be the turning point for the Colts. I'll give that one to the Steelers, and then I think that they'll beat the Browns in Cleveland. Um, just because I don't think the Browns are completely set in what they're going to do. I think think that they're still trying to figure out their identity, still trying to figure out what they're going to be able to accomplish week in and week out. So I think that the Steelers sweep the Browns. I think they split with the Ravens and the Bengals. Uh, it puts them at 12 and 4, 11 and 5. I think they're a very talented team. They went 8 and 8 last year without an offense. So I don't think that it's out of the question that now having a veteran presence at quarterback, a guy that's taken them to two Super Bowls, one or taking them to three Super Bowls, one two Super Bowls. Uh, I think that he has enough talent on this roster to make a deep playoff run. 
Um, I just we'll see how everything else shakes out. He benefit they benefit from being in one of the weaker I think divisions in in pro football outside of the Ravens. I mean, who really else do you have to worry about in that division? So I, I think that's a fair assessment. It always can blow up and they'll not win that many games, or they could outdo me and maybe go fourteen and two, thirteen and three. That would be pretty impressive after coming off an eight. We'll see kind of how they decide that they're going to be this upcoming season. There's a lot of moving parts, and the year off, or the yeah, the last season that Roethlisberger had off could help them, or it could leave them rusty, and maybe they don't gain their footing and lose a couple games that they probably shouldn't in the first round. Transitioning now to some playoff talk, the NBA finally came up with the format that they would like to go to try and finish out the 2019-2020 season. Thursday call with Commissioner Adam Silver, the league's Board of Governors, approved a plan that will restart the NBA 2019-2020 season late in July. Representatives of the National Basketball Players Association gave their approval Friday in a virtual call. An agreement ends months of uncertainty after the league on March 11th suspended play over health and safety concerns brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. The return to play will send 22 teams to Orlando, Florida, where eight regular season games for each of the 22 teams will determine the seeding for a complete 16-team playoff field. The season will restart July 31st, and the NBA Finals will end no later than October 12th. So they're going to push this ending of this last season right up to the beginning of the next season. But this is what the players in the PA voted on and the governors decided. So 22 total teams, 13 from the West, 9 from the East. Only 8 teams, that means, won't make it out to Orlando to play at the Walt Disney World Resort. Um, That is an interesting point. Wojnowski, who's kind of the main basketball insider for ESPN, was doing an interview with Scott Van Pelt, and a lot of people are wondering whether or not not having home field advantage, home court advantage, is going to be a good thing or a bad thing. It's actually probably going to be a test for teams to win the championship. They're not going to be able to rely on energy from their home crowd. They're probably not even going to be able to rely on energy from a crowd at all. It'll just be their teammates and, and personnel, but We'll see how badly guys really want to win a championship. Makes me wonder whether or not guys like LeBron, who said that he won't play if there's not going to be any fans, if he's going to be as into winning it as he would have been if it would have finished out regularly. I think that he has to win in order to try and keep Anthony Davis enticed to go there or to re-sign in the offseason. But I think that is a good point made by Wojnowski that this will be another test. It'll be a, a mental test now. Um, I want to see which teams. So the Pelicans, Trailblazers, Suns, Kings, Spurs, and Wizards are the teams that are Six games or fewer behind the eighth seed in their respective conferences, which makes the 13 from the Western Conference. And then the Hornets, Bulls, Knicks, Pistons, Hawks, Cavaliers, Timberwolves, and Warriors 
are the teams that are no longer going to be in it. So going now to the standings from the Western Conference, that means the Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Jazz, Thunder, Rockets, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Trailblazers, Pelicans, Kings, Spurs, and Suns. So basically everybody but the Timberwolves and the Warriors from the Western Conference, and then it'll be the Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, Heat, Pacers, 76ers, Nets, Magic, and the Wizards from the Eastern Conference. A little bit different of a setup now. I'm not sure how I feel about this for the Nuggets. If you listen to Gunnison Sports Talk Radio, I always was questioning whether or not they should win to try and stay on the opposite side of the Lakers or try and avoid the Jazz in a first-round matchup. I think the Jazz are a terrible matchup for for the Nuggets because the Jazz, even going all the way back to the 90s, have been a team based off of running, scoring points, and being tough. And that kind of puts their hand right in the face of the Denver Nuggets, who I would say are, are lacking an alpha and are lacking a, a leadership presence. You can say what you want about Jokic. Um, he's a great player, probably one of the best centers that ha- are playing right now currently in the league. Jamal Murray is, has his ups and downs. He's considered a superstar, quote-unquote, here in Denver, but they don't have that that guy. The Lakers have LeBron. They have AD. The Clippers have Kawhi. They have Paul George. Um, and then, you know, you got the Bucks with Giannis. Toronto is a very tough team mentally. The Celtics, the Heat with Jimmy Butler. So there's a lot of teams that have a, a mental toughness edge that I think the Nuggets don't have. They're trying to get it from their head coach and Michael Malone, but you got to have it on the court, I think, to be more successful. So this will be, that'll be my test for the Nuggets. And I think this hurts their chances even more of making it even to the conference finals. Um, I just don't don't quite think that they have it ready to go, and I think it takes them too long to get ready for the game. So I don't know how you expect a team like that to be able to go into a neutral site game where mental toughness is going to be everything pretty much and I don't know if they have it I don't I'd like them to have it I just don't think that that's how it's going to end up being I think a team like Oklahoma City Utah the Clippers are going to have something to prove the Lakers obviously think that this is their year to win a championship they were five and a half games in front of the Clippers when the season did end in March in their last 10, they were 8-2, and two, but now you kind of got to throw that out the window since everybody's been waiting. Who knows how many of these guys have been working out, trying to stay in shape when the season, if the season and when the season returned. It'll it'll be an interesting kind of situation to see unfold. It'll be different. I feel like if this happened during the Jordan era, Jordan would have had his guys in the gym as soon as they could, or working out at a playground, something like that. I don't know if any team did this. I know a lot of these guys, rightfully so, have been involved in the Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, a lot of guys going back to their hometowns. Giannis has been giving out waters to protesters in Milwaukee. So there's a lot of different distractions going on, plus it's a different setup, different format, so you're not used to how this is going to be. You technically got your offseason in between March 11th and now, and you're going to have to come back, and it's high stakes right away. Uh, I mean, they're going to figure out the 16 seeds off these eight regular season games, and if you don't do well, I mean, you could fall out fairly quickly. I think that 
the only teams in jeopardy of falling out would be the teams that weren't necessarily in it. So the Trailblazers, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Spurs, and the Suns. And then the Nets, or not the Nets, and then the Wizards in the East. But Nuggets could fall. They had third locked up if the season would have just came back right into the playoffs. But they could fall possibly eight or nine. I still think you want to stay on the opposite side of the Lakers, but the Clippers have been bullying them a little bit too last season before the stoppage happened. And like I said, you always want to avoid the, the Jazz if you're the Nuggets. So you don't want to fall down to five. You definitely don't want to fall. I mean, right now they're on the Lakers' side. So the best-case scenario is to win their regular season games, possibly move up. They're only two-and-a-half out, two-and-a-half behind, or one-and-a-half behind the Clippers. So that would be their best opportunity to make a little bit of a run in this, is to move up, take overtake the second seed, and then hope that you see the Lakers in the conference finals and not anywhere sooner than that. In the East... It's a little bit more up in the air. The Bucks obviously had the best regular season run, but now we're going to have to see if Giannis is finally over losing in the playoffs. Toronto, still very mentally tough. I think they want to prove that they can win without Kawhi and that Kawhi wasn't the only reason they won the championship last year. They were pretty talented just outside of him, but Kawhi is one of those superstars that elevates your team. Jimmy Butler's got a lot to prove out in Miami. Everybody said that when he went to the Heat, it was just so that he could party and not care as much about anything else going on, but he's kind of proved that that was a myth, that he is ready to play. So the Eastern Conference, I think, has a lot of question marks. The 76ers are a pretty good team. Indiana is a pretty good team. Um, so th- those are some of the guys that can make a run at Milwaukee. Might, we might not even see Giannis in the finals, well, depending on how the Bucks handle the restarting of the league. I think that the Lakers are also kind of in that same boat. We saw it two years ago in the NHL playoffs. The two top seeds went down in the first round. So it's kind of you want to be playing meaningful games all the way through the season. And when you're 53-12 and in the regular season or 49-14 and and don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to be in the playoffs, I think that's a detriment. And I think it lets you relax a little bit too much. And that's just not something that you can really have, especially in this sort of high-stakes tournament situation that we're going to be seeing once everything goes back real quick we'll talk about the NHL and I'll break down some of those matchups that are going to be happening and then I'll get out of here I'm going to go get a haircut and then um, Ed and I are going to get our our feet done for a pedicure so I'm going to try and get get this over with fairly quickly so Eastern Conference Bruins, Lightning, Capitals, and Flyers are the four teams that are in the tournament automatically. And Pittsburgh will be playing Montreal, Carolina, and New York, Toronto, and the Islanders. Wait, how does that work? Oh, sorry. Carolina's playing Florida. Toronto is playing the Rangers, and then Columbus and the Islanders are playing. I think the team with the most to lose out of this format right now, the Canadians were getting kind of hot towards the end of the season, and they're going up against Pittsburgh, who they've won a few cups in this decade, or this past decade, and I think they're trying to keep this going. But honestly, them getting beat out by three points to just being in the playoff tournament might be a little bit discouraging to them. Um, Tampa has a lot to prove after being knocked out as a f- one seed two years ago in Boston. 
giving up the first cup in St. Louis Blues history last year is probably weighing heavily on their mind. They want to make another run to the final and win a cup this year. The Western Conference, uh, Blues, Colorado, Vegas, and Edmonton are the top four in the tournament. Uh, Colorado's got a good shot to win it this year. they got to get a goaltender that gets hot. They need a little bit of attitude on the ice. Same thing with the Nuggets. They need an alpha on the ice to kind of take over and make sure everybody else stays protected and nobody takes the liberty with them. But then you got Dallas playing Chicago, Winnipeg and Arizona, Calgary and Minnesota, Nashville and Vancouver. The Arizona-Winnipeg matchup is going to be determining who plays the Avs in the first round, and that's an interesting interesting setup there because Arizona's got a goaltender that can get very good, and so does Winnipeg. Arizona's a little bit more of a, a big bruising team, and Colorado struggled in the playoffs against teams like that the past couple of years. The only benefit that they'll have is the Avs won't be having to play a series before then, but that could also work in their disadvantage because then they'll be still behind trying to get back in the game shape, and Arizona will have Arizona Winnipeg will have those games moving forward to get ready for everybody. So, the good news is. Seems like sports are going to be coming back. Everybody was kind of nervous as to whether or not they'll be able to return. Looks like that that is something that's going to be happening. But bad news is is that now that it's all new, it's going to be difficult to predict which teams are going to be able to adapt to this new format and which teams are not going to be able to. So teams like the Colorado Avalanche that had a chance to win it, the Los Angeles Lakers that had a, a good chance to win it, now this could be a detriment to those teams and possibly lose their window to winning another championship just because this is different than anything that anybody's ever had to deal with before. I mean, they've had strikes shortened seasons and all that kind of stuff, but never have we had a play-in tournament to decide who gets into the real tournament and then see what goes on from there. So that's kind of the the dark horse in this whole situation. But that's going to be the end of the episode today. Thank you guys for listening. Like I said at the beginning, Follow us on Twitter at COAPod73, at Jimmy Pilato. My Instagram is at Proud underscore WAP. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please like it, subscribe to the show, rate it five stars, leave a review, and then wherever you listen, tell a friend about the show. Let's get the word out a little bit more. Let's start growing this podcast a little bit more. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. We'll see you on Thursday for another episode. Sound of the sound of speech, machine guns ready to go. Are you ready? Hey!